0: If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Hannah. Of all my guests, you'd think that Hannah would be best prepared for this journey, given that she's a nanny by trade, but nothing truly prepares you for what life is like as a solo mum by choice. Hannah lives in Queensland with her gorgeous two-year-old daughter, Stevie. Welcome to the podcast tonight, Hannah. I've been following you for a long time, so it would be really great to start with how you made the decision to become a solo mum by choice.
1: Uh, Hi, Alicia. Thank you for having me. I've been very excited to um, obviously share my story with everybody. Um, So I must have been around, uh, you know, 29 um, when I kind of thought about, you know, possibility going down the solo path. um, And it was always just kind of food for thought um, if I didn't find the right person. Um, And it took me um, until I was back with an ex-partner many years later after we broke up um, to go and get my AMH um, levels tested. Mm -hmm. And that was when um, things kind of spiked um, speaking to the GP. Um, She was really frank and kind of cut to the chase and pretty much... um, you know, just said she'd had a friend that you know missed the boat, and you know, if you want to get onto things, like it can't—it's not always an easy process. So she highly recommended that I go and speak to a fertility specialist and just see if it was something that um, I would be interested in freezing my eggs. So I um, I went and saw a fertility specialist, um, and she was also really um, frank and kind of straight to the point. And I didn't have the best vibe from this lady. I kind of was a bit um, overwhelmed by just all the facts and figures, and her kind of saying the same thing as the GP. You know, like, um, you know, uh, just about my age. I think it must have been thirty-one. Um, Not that old in the grand scheme of things. No, but just kind of like saying, you know, the prime of your life. Having a baby and getting pregnant is in the 20s, just saying I was heading down that trail and that you know your eggs diminish. Um, and yeah, she was a real matter of fact too. And I kind of walked away from her being like, Oh my gosh, I can't do this. Um, she was way too full on and like almost, um, like teary about it because I was like, Oh, she had, I felt like she had no empathy or um, didn't see where I, you know, my side of where I was sitting. Um, so I actually just. Uh, put it to sleep for a little while. I'm just like, oh, I can't do this. That just seems way too much.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, because she was also mentioning about, you know, freezing embryos, how their success rate is a lot higher. And the donor um, path was like I was not even looking into that at that stage. I was purely looking to freeze eggs. So that kind of set me off uh, set me off track a little bit as well because I find it was, yeah, it was a bit too much.
0: I think a lot of women are in that situation now. they get to kind of their 30s, they haven't met someone they're like, well, I'll freeze my eggs to give me options in the future and it's quite overwhelming to say it should be embryos and you should be doing a donor like straight away. You're not in that mindset.
1: Absolutely. So I was going through the same fertility specialist at this point and I decided to get all the facts. Um, The nurses at the fertility clinic that I went to were amazing. So I just thought, right, I'm going to get all the facts about it, get all the costs and just kind of mule over it and make a decision yeah um, but then that's when I decided yeah I just put it to sleep I was like this is just way too much um and so then it must have been a little while later um I was back in a relationship at that point when I got my uh AMH checked and that deteriorated and ended very soon after it was not we were only back together a short time before I knew just it just wasn't right for me yeah um, so it was towards the end of that year I think I picked things up again and I just thought maybe I'll ask to see a different fertility specialist and just maybe it was just she just wasn't for me. And that's when I um, was sent to James Moy who has just recently retired and I just instantly liked him. Like everything about him, um, his bedtime manner, he just was so um, – like, he spoke so softly and he just was so nurturing and, yeah, he really made me feel kind of um, safe and, you know, not overwhelmed as I was. Um, so once again, I I still got all the refreshing information from QFG, um, saw so all the ladies again who were absolutely lovely. Um, they did try and um, let me know that, you know, embryo success with a donor is higher than egg freezing and all that sort of stuff but i just was really not at there so i was like no i really just want to freeze my eggs i just want to go ahead with this i'm just not ready to wrap my head around the donor part. but mm-hmm. let's get some eggs in the freezer you know see what happens i, I was very um a bit blase about it all to be honest
0: well how old were you at that point
1: so i was 20 uh, 32
0: yes yeah, so i'm still not
1: old <laughs> 32. i was just like oh yeah i'll freeze eggs you know get me some more time um you know, what do I going to do? Pick up the medication, okay. Like each day I literally just read the first line, you know, going all out of this. Like I just was like, this is too overwhelming. If I look at the whole plan, yeah. I just look it one at a time. Um and for that round, I actually had a friend do all my injections. I never injected, I was so oh, really? mad at the injections. Um so yeah, I had a good friend at the time who did all my injections for me. It went really smoothly, went to hospital. Woke up with a nine on my hand, nine eggs. um, and Sorry, it was a ten, but nine were able to be frozen. And I was like, that's pretty straightforward, you know. Um, I did have a feeling um, right before my egg collection, I think it was all the hormones that I wish that I had been going through with the donor Um, because I had all the hormones obviously in me and were thinking like, oh, I just wish I was getting ready to have a baby, like I had that moment. Um, but obviously that is has passed. Um, so, yeah, that kind of gave me, that took me up to 2018. Um, and I was like, right, everyone keeps saying I need to put myself out there, I'm going to online date, you know. So I did that. I've got thinking. my
0: backup plan. Now I just have to find the, yeah. the Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I think my backup plan was always to go it alone. But I think this is my way of being like, look, I'm putting myself out there to the universe, you know, Um when, yeah, it was not my cup of tea at all. Um, so I think that's when I was really thinking, you know, at the beginning of, I think it was, in, so it must have been 2018, I was like, right, I'm going to date and then I'm going to, at the end of the year I'll get everything ready for the following year and I'm just going to use a donor and have a baby on my own.
0: But I won't need that because I'll meet someone and it will be fine.
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, it, it happens, it happens. But, you know, this is my plan. And I kind of think mentally maybe that's what my plan was. So I kind of, I don't know if the most amazing man was in front of me, whether I would have seen it or felt it or whether I just had my plan. So I'll never know. Um, But, yeah, so I I had just changed job. I had a really good friend at the time and I had a job working in an office um, and, I had lots of spare time, so I was really researching. Um, My main focus was how donor-conceived children feel. Like I really had my head around, you know, wanting to wrap my head around that. Um, So I was watching lots of Insight episodes. I was Googling, you know, all sorts and watching all these um, episodes of donor-conceived children speaking, Um, and that's where I actually came across Stephanie who um, I reached out, um, she'd been on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, Seth Holt. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. reached out to her just to be like, oh, I've seen you on SBS and, you know, just wanting to get a little bit of um, insight as to how it, the process went. So, um, yeah. So then I just cracked on with things. Um, I remember I. I had to pay the donor fee. You know, it kind of like trickles on that like we've got to do this and then we've got to do this, and I found it quite like a process. Um, but next minute I was having to choose my donor. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was very uh, not subtle about it. Like I think people, people did know um, uh, I had this plan, but I was really doing all the background work kind of on my own. Like I didn't really feel like I needed anyone else to – as input or anything. It was like, this is what I was doing. I well, guess
0: um, the rest of the life is going to be, so maybe it's good yeah, practice for that. Yeah, I didn't
1: have this sense of needing a band of people around me or a band of people support. I kind of, this, was my, this is my decision. This is the path I was wanting to follow. And I kind of just cracked on on my own. Um, but I'll never forget that the day that I um, brought my sperm and, like, literally it all went through, it was like an hour and a half later and my boss came in and I got made redundant. Really? Yeah. And I just no. remember, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, if he had come in, you know, a few hours earlier, would I have, um, you know, clicked that button to kind of finalise, not finalise things, but to create the next step? Um, so that was really interesting. Um, but I just remember. I think I did a little live video of myself just at the computer, saying like, "Oh my gosh, I just brought the, brought my sperm." Um, I don't really know how I'm feeling, you know, because I was trying. I couldn't really wrap my head around it. Um, but I was feeling quite overwhelmed um, that it was all actually happening. If that makes sense? Yeah, I brought one vial, so um, I basically the um, fertility specialist, like many other women that I've heard the podcast um, with, they've spoken, said, you know go for some free IUIs and then move to IVF
0: yeah
1: and I was like oh that's great I just want to do this as drug free as possible and I'll just do IUI and you know hopefully I'll fall pregnant but then I um learned the price of a vial of sperm and I was like no way I was like I'm buying one vial and um doing one round of IVF and if it works it works like I just was a bit blundered I was just like I'm just buying one I'll get embryos you know that how it works. It works, and if not, like I'm not spending thirteen hundred dollars on more sperm. Like I really couldn't get my head around that.
0: Was that an Australian donor or an overseas donor? Yeah, Australian dollars.
1: So I think that's quite cheap compared to what some women are having to pay now. Like,
0: yeah. Oh, sorry, I said it was that an Australian donor or an overseas oh,
1: donor. Sorry, no. So I um, I went through uh, Queensland Fertility Group, who use two different sperm banks, and I went with Seattle Sperm Bank, mm-hmm. based over in America um
0: yeah I've heard of like ten thousand dollars for a vial, so thirteen hundred sounds quite cheap really but, but
1: yeah at that point um I was yeah I was like oh my gosh imagine if I had to buy three of those and you know and then yeah. I had to move to IVF I'll just cut the IUIs process down and just go straight for IVF um and my mentality was very blase I just i listening to all of the women um obviously who have shared their stories so far and um, I even read a lot of the ladies' posts, the people that I follow who are uh, trying to conceive still, and there's so much that they speak about that I have no idea what they're speaking about because I just Did didn't it? really delve into it that much. I was, I was a bit, um, not naive, but I was just like, oh, yeah, I just need this and I just need that. And then, and you know, make a baby. Baby, and yeah, I just I hadn't really delved into it too much and I was quite um, quite laid back, I guess, about the whole process. I just assumed
0: Maybe because you'd been through two rounds of egg collection before that as well. Yeah, so I'd, I'd
1: been through, I'd done one egg one egg with my egg, egg freezing.
0: Yeah. Um, so you knew what was coming when it came to that and then it was like, so now I just think the yeah. extra part, surely it's the same. And they make the embryos
1: and then they just put the embryo, yeah, I just, I, I hadn't really had, um, didn't put much thought into like, what well, if it doesn't happen, what will my plan be, how long will I keep trying? I just kind of thought I've just, I'm a woman, I need a sperm, they're going to put the embryo in. Just gotta let Mother Nature take its course and you know, can't I can't do much more, you know. Um, so I was yeah, very fortunate I got five I got seven eggs, which got five embryos. That's good. Um, and I wasn't able to do a fresh transfer because my uterus had well, mate, you know, sometimes it's too mature for the cycle or something had happened. So they said, look, sorry, thought so was quite a lot of another weight, you know. I thought, okay, that's okay. I'll just be doing a frozen transfer. Yeah. So um, for everyone that's done a frozen transfer, you know, you just kind of waltz in and then I think I just went in, had the transfer and went to work. Like it was quite surreal. <laughs> um, but once again, I was like, okay, it's on board. You know, I don't really know what else I can do. Um, I listened to my fertility uh, affirmations and, you know, had positive mindset, but I just, yeah, I kind of just, off I went and had my two-week wait. Um, And, yeah, I was very fortunate that the first one stuck. Awesome. Stevie. So, yeah, from that moment it was very um, surreal because I'd never tested. Because I was just like, oh, I I didn't want to um, potentially think I was pregnant if I didn't end up or, you know, yeah. And like I said, I was very a bit blasé about it. So I just kind of thought I'll just wait and they'll bring me and say whether I'm pregnant or not. Still at that point, I never was thinking I'm going to have to go do another transfer. Like I was literally just doing step by step and just trying to cross like one foot in front of the other, not having to think too far ahead because I think that would have overwhelmed me if I um, had to keep thinking about what I was going to do next when, it was, when I was already in the motion, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, good advice for anyone else going through it at the moment. Just
1: yeah.
0: One, just one step at that. a time.
1: Yeah, one step at a time and just – yeah, even like I was saying, the taking the medication and things like that, seeing your whole script and your whole plan can seem overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I literally fold the bottom up and just do one line at a time because um, the last thing I wanted to do was to feel overwhelmed or anxious or like it was like too big for yeah. what I was doing. Did you do um, your own
0: injections that time, or did your friend
1: help yes. you? Okay. so I did all my own injections, um, and I actually had egg retrieval awake.
0: I had my first time was awake. I was on yeah. some like crazy. Was it Twilight Mids? And I found it fascinating because they had a screen up and I could watch them suck the eggs out. I was really disappointed when it was GA in Australia. I was like, oh, want to
1: it again? Yeah. So for my um, for when I froze my eggs, I got a ten thousand dollar personal loan and it cost me ten grand out of pocket just to freeze my eggs. Wow. So when I spoke to the fertility specialist, um, they were doing bulk billing, and he said, look, it's going to be. Oh, it's actually, was sorry, the fertility clinic um, was explaining this to me, that, you know, there's only two fertility specialists, so you're either going to get James or Petra. There's yeah. only this in that, you know. So you go bulk billing. Yes, you're not going to get to pick who you've got, but there's only two choices. One's the fertility specialist already. One's the other lady who's very experienced, you know, that you're going to save a hell of a lot of money. So I was like, okay, I'll do the bulk billing. Yeah, I'll do the awake. What do I have? Oh, they'll give you, um, you know, take some aphrodisiac and they'll give you, um a valium or i think i was allowed to take a valium and then there's gas and i was thinking oh okay well that saves a whole lot of money um and yeah it was very i found it very severe because i did use the gas during that treatment um so it makes you feel really spacey yeah um but it was over and yeah it was so quick you know in and out and off you go they get the eggs and then you just yeah kind of wait to hear what happens with the sperm like how things go
0: yeah, definitely not something all clinics offer because I know mine it wasn't even an option. Oh really? Yeah, it was GA and that was it. So
1: Wow. So yeah, this saved me like a hell of a lot of money. It was so much cheaper for me to have do a full round of IVF with Stevie than just freezing my eggs. Crazy, like, isn't it? Huge. Yeah. So but I feel like I had to have I had to do the egg freezing to get to where I was the next step, if that makes sense. Yeah. To get to the to being happy to um, go down the donor route, route, route. Um, because, yeah, at that, at that time when I wanted to freeze eggs, I needed to be proactive and do something but I wasn't ready to do the donor um, paths. So I felt like even though it cost me $10,000, it was a big stepping stone into preparing me, me for what, was going, what it was going to be like. Um, so, you know, I'd love to have the 10 grand back, but don't regret that process.
0: So obviously pregnant first time, which was fantastic. How did pregnancy go with TV?
1: Yes, so um so obviously you find out I was four weeks, officially like four weeks and three days, um, pregnant when they rang me. And literally from like one week later, I was so nauseous. I was nauseous pretty much the whole time. Um, around the clock, like just with yeah, a lot of nausea and I'm a nanny. So I would Sometimes leave home at 6am and get home at midnight. I have jobs all throughout the day. So the more tired, tired I was, the more it would make me nauseous. Oh, and I, yeah, it was not good. So I had this little esky full of like little ginger ales and cheese and biscuits and just snacks because I had to always keep snacking. Um and my sister who had a child before me, she's like, oh, it's okay. It'll just be like 13 weeks, you know. Oh, okay, maybe. For some people at 16, oh, maybe it'll just be till 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh,
0: maybe, maybe
1: 40. remember yeah. <laughs> at like 38 weeks one night getting home from work um, and, yeah, vomiting um, and just being like, oh, I'm one of those people. But nothing like, um, is it HCG or HGC? that the really sick.
0: The one too. that um, Princess Kate
1: uh, is. Yeah. yeah, so it wasn't like that, but I was just constantly nausea. Um, but I was literally sitting down with my knees with my legs crossed at 41 weeks. Like I had my, because I'm quite tall, like I had no, couldn't really even tell I was pregnant from the back. Wow. Couldn't lot weight and just had like a baby because was in the front. Um, and my sister was quite envious. She's like, how are you still doing that? You know, I'm, <laughs> she she's short, shorter and shorter torso, so she really feels out.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so I, had, I felt like I had a pretty smooth pregnancy.
0: Um, Apart from feeling nauseous. nausea, with- yeah,
1: yeah, which I could deal with. Um, and sometimes it would go for a day or two um, and I knew that people would tell me, well, oh, it's a sign of a strong pregnancy. So it was quite reassuring that things were chugging along. So I tried to find the positive yeah. side of that. Um, but, yeah, I still enjoyed um, being pregnant. Um, I feel like that was the easiest bit of my whole journey. <laughs> and and conceiving, yeah. You know, some people say, um, you know, some women go through, like, an enormous ordeal to get pregnant
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then, you know, might have a really blissful first, like, start to motherhood. Whereas I find, you know, I had, yes, I had quite a smooth um, uh, conceit to conceive. Sorry, smooth transition, like from going from my decision, getting pregnant, pretty cruising pregnancy. And then it kind of, like from the, um, when I had Stevie, I got induced, things weren't, were not very um, nice. So um, I'm very grateful for the pregnancy. My mum actually said the other day, Oh, I'll have another baby for you. And I'm like, That's the easy bit. I could do it. I can (laughs) do it pregnancy, mum. It's the giving birth and like the next bit. Um, What
0: happened?
1: So I was, yeah, so she she was during the 12th of Feb and I got to like 41 um, plus, well, it must have been, so it must have been about just over um, seven days overdue, so it must have been 41 weeks. And they, my midwife, who was really lovely, just explained to me the risks with IVF conception. Um, And I just felt like the baby wasn't ready to come. Like I don't know what I don't know if some people know when the baby you know be ready, but I I deep down didn't think the baby was ready to come, even though my estimated due date had been was like a whole week prior to that. I'd done a hypnobirthing course, um, like calm birthing, and they're really were, um, big on you know your estimated due date just being an estimate. Um, and, you know, I, I had, towards the end, you know, I had a little bit of restless legs and was sleeping a bit uncomfortable, but all in all I was pretty comfortable still with the baby inside. Um, so I started doing lots of acupuncture and things like that to hopefully bring on the birth. Um, and then, yeah, the midwife just basically said, look, like the, the hospital does not want you to go past 10 days, so you're really going to have to decide what you want to do. Um, and obviously, being first-time pregnancy, you just don't have a clue. Like I kind of put my trust in her, and I felt like, oh, people get induced all the time. Like, how bad can it be? Because you know that's that's my option. You know. Um. So yeah, I and I and I was really unaware also that sometimes you know you can get induced and it won't. It'll take two days till the baby arrives. I had no idea. So. I think she was counting that with her days being like, you know, by the 22nd it will be 10 days, so you really want baby out by then. So I wasn't panicking, but I was kind of thinking, okay, I really need to listen to the professionals. If they're saying there's high risk of stillborn or saying that they advise me to be induced, I think I'm just going to have to go with it. I don't want to resist it and being um, regretful that I'm not listening to them, but I don't... Um, I don't know what else to do because it's my first time, you know. So we booked in um, to get induced. Um, so it was quite surreal because obviously you're like packing your bags and there's no rushing to the hospital. because just me and my sister. We went packed packed the bags and were like going to the hospital and the plan was to use the gel.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I had two lots of gel over 12 hours and just nothing happened. So nothing was – cervix wasn't softening, um, And nothing, like it wasn't even a slight change. Um, So that was like the first night. So that was on like a Thursday. And so obviously they're telling you to try and rest, you know, through the examination. So in between the examinations and all that sort of jazz, which is just excruciating. um, But, and you're just about to have a baby. So it's like you can't really sleep. So you try and rest. But yeah, obviously I was a week overdue lying in the hospital bed, not much sleep happening. So must have been the next morning, um, you know, they come and have a chat to you about, you know, what's going to happen next, and they basically just um, let me know my options with, I mean, inducing further. Um, and I don't know why, but I just had this thing with the balloon catheter, like I just didn't want. It's creepy. It. <laughs> yeah, just or the captain's book or whatever they were calling it. I just had this bit of fear so I was a little bit resistant to it um so they were just like right let's just start the oxytocin and we'll just start moving things forward and you know anyway um I won't go into the the whole thing because it could go on for so long um but basically um things slowly progressed with the oxytocin and um reflecting back you know my sister and best friend who were in with me you know said I I had was a really nice um transition to labor like they, they were they're commending me for how well you know don't forget there was a really nice part because it's a pear shaped so I just kind of pushed through that um and yeah things were just really slow so that's why I feel in my in my head that baby just wasn't really ready it's trying to make me have the baby and baby wasn't ready so anyway fast forward um i had already told the girls you know I don't want an epidural you know if I want an epidural just make sure you determined you know um, but it came to a point where I was just like, oh, my gosh, like how much longer can I go on for?
0: Mm.
1: And we, yeah, they ended up getting in a good at I think 11 o'clock that evening. So I'd been there like 4 p.m. and then this is the next night. Yeah. So I'd gone through um, two of the midwives and then so my other midwife was back because I was in the midwife group practice so I had the same midwife. Um, so, my lovely midwife was there obviously for the epidural, um, where everything was just calm and, um, you know, once again, hop into bed, get some sleep. Um, you're only three centimeters dilated, so we'll just have to wait till tomorrow. And then, once you're 10 centimeters, all you're going to have to do is push tomorrow. And I was like, wow, they're just making it sound so easy. So, just have a nap. I've got to have a nap, eat something. And then in the morning, I've just got to push. And I'm like, this doesn't sound. Up. So, I kind of had like up and down motions, like things were intense. And then, next minute, I'm cruising an epidural, just lying in my bed, chatting to my friends, you know, and then, you know, things the next day. Obviously, yep, yeah, they're like, you're getting ready, um, you're 10 centimeters now, you know, you just need to push. And I have a pre existing bald disc in my back. So, I've had the epidural. The worst position for me is to lie on my back. So, I always. I think, avoid that position but because I had an epidural sitting in the hospital bed I was just lying in the bed and I um went I could feel my legs I think I must have had a spine block it wasn't like an epidural where I could I could still walk I think you could get up um and I wasn't familiar with the the button that you have to keep pressing the button to obviously take the pain relief away right Oh, so, yeah. So here we go. They're like wanting me to get up to, you know, we start pushing and my back just, my discs just completely riled up and it was just excruciating. So every time I had a contraction, although I don't think 100% I could feel the contraction exactly, my bold disc was, the pain was flaring. So if that makes sense. So it was coming in waves. So I pushed and pushed and pushed and it was two hours later and then I just like had this lightning moment where I was like I just cannot do this anymore you know I just cannot do this um during this period I'd already asked about having a cesarean because I just had this really bad feeling that I was going to end up in surgery I was trying to get out of my head and just kind of focus on having a baby but I just had this weird feeling and they explained to me you know um if, you, if, if you've exhausted all options, you know, yes, you can have a, a cesarean, but you know, until then, we kind of don't just you don't just go off and have a cesarean. So I was like, right, I need to just do this. Um, but at this point, um, it was like you know, ten o'clock the next day, so I've nearly been two days, and I was so exhausted; I hadn't slept. Um, and then pretty much from then, that's when the things just kind of went pear shaped. So she had to get. Um, of delivered after the foul vacuum, and then finally, you know, baby comes out, it's a girl because I didn't know what I was having. It was, you know, quite emotional for everybody because we've been such a drawn out process, which is quite normal now that I hear,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and then, um, I remember just lying there, and something I was just waiting, yeah, oh, the placenta's got to come out, you know, and then next minute, you know, lights were on, 20 people were in the room, and yeah, my placenta umbilical the umbilical cord has snapped so the placenta was stuck so it was just like this really um fast motion she needs to go to surgery That they had a really bad hemorrhage and got put to sleep wow yeah so it was just quite a um very surreal like you're going you know like i said walk into the hospital with your sister to have your baby next minute i was getting put to sleep and i just i knew my intuition just knew i knew i was going to have surgery i didn't know what was going to happen um
0: yeah, you so probably surgery, yeah. a and not. I'm
1: yeah, sorry. but but I, they don't have. they never. They never actually clarified what was wrong with my placenta. They explained that um, the embedding of the uh, of the embryo when it embeds can sometimes embed a little bit too much, so the fibers really like stick in. So instead of just breaking away naturally, mm. um, it just yeah, it's so far embedded in there. So. That was just really, really hard to get my head around because obviously then I woke up at like five o'clock that afternoon. Stevie was in um, special care, and I was just like, because there's so many drugs, like obviously because yeah, stopping the bleeding and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was just I just had a very traumatic experience, um, and yeah, because of all the blood loss, I just was so ill, like in myself. And then I had obviously a little baby in special care that wasn't with me. Um, she was being monitored but it was more me than it was more me not being able to care for her which was
0: horrible yeah was um, she in special care because something was wrong or just because you weren't able to look after
1: it i had that strep B, you know this so yeah wow. so you can have this you can have that and it can pass passed on to the baby so i was on um they'd hooked me up to um antibiotics the whole time for mm-hmm. the baby um so that was really hard like going through labor being with that trolley with the antibiotics attached to you and the catheter in your arm that you can't bend like that were making it really tricky for me um so yeah that was looking back I remember my best friend saying you know this was I know it's been a terrible experience but when you look through your entire journey and your you know child's two and three and four you know it's just a really small snippet yeah um, it took me a long time to like get my head around that um, but it's really true like although it was horrendous um that's how Stevie was here like Stevie was um, brought here um and there's nothing really I can do about it. that's just how things happened like unfortunately just lots of little bad things happened along the way and then it just ended in the ended with the placenta so even if I had of hummed her out in my peaceful <laughs> you know, kind of um Uh, what do I call it, the hypnobirthing, you know, the placenta, there was something wrong with it. So I kind of try to think of it that way, that that was, yeah, the placenta was the big issue at the end. Um, And speaking to lots of other women, lots of things happen like this. It's quite common um, to endure like quite a, um, yeah, traumatic or just a huge emotional battle, you know, during your um, birth. So although, yeah, you don't want anyone else to go through anything, that it's quite comforting to know, like, it's a mammoth effort and lots of things can happen. Um,
0: I blame Hollywood. They all make it look so easy.
1: (laughs) But you're birthing a child, you know, so it is hard yakka. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I had Stevie um, on the 22nd of February, so it was about six weeks, I think, before COVID hit. So, There was no COVID, you know. We're in the hospital. Um,
0: I say you got to have people with you. That's nice.
1: Yes, I got to have people. In hospital for about six nights, I think, because I was in there for a couple of nights before. Um, But I think just yeah, because of my rough, the rough birth, I really feel like that is what put me on the back, put me so back with beginning to motherhood like I found it really hard because I was so um my hemoglobin was so low and had blood transfusion eye infusions I was just feeling so dead like I'd been in a car accident or something you know that it was really hard to just feel refreshed because I've got this new little baby do you know what I mean I was so sad.
0: hard enough with a newborn let alone yeah, it was all the blood loss and all the rest of it so
1: yeah so I just really um I don't even really remember. It was quite a blur, but I had to, like, regain myself yep. before I could even, like, wrap my head around having this new baby. Um, so it took me a couple of days to name her. Um, and because she wasn't in the room with me, either, so it was quite um, surreal. It wasn't, you know, you go have your baby and then next minute she's next to you in the room and you've got, you know, I had all the balloons and I had all the, it's a girl and all those sorts of things, but the baby wasn't there and I had to get better so that she could be in the room with me
0: yeah
1: so um yeah so that was the beginning um and yeah then obviously covid hit um and i because i had had a bit of a um the rough traumatic birth i kind of wasn't um welcoming lots of people over i was kind of like just easing my way into it I yeah. um, had a couple of visitors here or there but i was just like exhausted from everything that had happened so I just thought I'd need, you know, to get um my head in the right space and then you know start having visitors visitors. And then COVID hit. So um it was a very strange period of time, quite surreal. Um, um but I just yeah, I was very fortunate I lived in a one bedroom unit next door to my parents. So I had mum and dad next door. And so at that point, like every um probably for a really the first you know six six months of Stevie's life I always like every night I got to mum and dad's for dinner which was great because mum's a night out, I'm a night out, we'll go upstairs um have showers and have our showers and bath downstairs and then go up and have dinner and watch tv and kind of hang out that was quite um a nice way to enter the night time because I found the night time sometimes a bit daunting because you kind of knew you know, sometimes the baby's got wind, and Stevie was a bit colicky, usually towards that night time, is when sometimes things route up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had a interesting, um, you know, first two months um, because it was shortly after, I think a couple of weeks into COVID, my dad had a really bad accident and fell off a roof. Oh. So, and he was in hospital. So, I was like mid COVID. Me, mum and Stevie, no, like the families all, this is like the beginning of COVID, like coming to the driveway to like drop things off. Like, you know, and it was really hairy at the beginning and it was yeah. in lockdown and we didn't understand what it was, how it was, but everyone to stay at home. There's a new baby here. Like, um, so that was a really interesting period for us because um, then it was just down to me and mum. There was no dad. Yeah. So it was me, mum and Stevie. All the girls. Yeah, all the girls. So, um, yeah, it just was a, I found it just a really challenging time to, like, um, get my head around what was going on. But I, um, Mum was really good with just saying, like, look, we've got nowhere to be. It's COVID. If she sleeps on you, you know, from feed to feed, like, so be it. Because she was, Steve is not the child that you swaddle and put down. Every time I put her down, she'd wake up. So I just was like, "Oh, you're right. I'm just gonna let her sleep on me." And she would sleep, you know, two, three hours. Feed burp, and she'd just sleep on me or Mum. She'd sleep on my either on my legs, so I could eat my dinner and things like that, or she'd be on my chest. And that really got me through because I didn't have anywhere to be. We didn't really, you know, washing was minimal because you're not know, going out. Food, you know, it was quite a um, a simple, simple few. I think it might have been four weeks or so that we had um, and just really nurturing Stevie and just soaking up everything. Um, And if she went to sleep and we didn't wake up to 9 o'clock in the morning, well, then we, you know, we had nowhere to be, so it didn't really matter at all. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, so that was probably takes me up to the first eight weeks. And then I feel like that's when I probably started to kind of feel a bit more normal and get into a bit of a groove and regain a bit of my um, uh, mental, you know, my mental health and just start to really enjoy. Although I loved, obviously I loved her and bath time and all those things, it was just like feeling so um, drained from the birth, so it just took me a little bit extra to kind of pep up a little bit
0: like a cesarean, it's six weeks before you're even allowed to drive. And you've basically been through the same, but with more blood loss, probably. So, So, so,
1: yeah, when you look back um, on, like, taking all the pressure away from how things would have been maybe if COVID wasn't there, it was quite a nice time um, just being the three of us. Yeah. Um, And although people weren't enjoying, you know, didn't get to come and enjoy the newborn snuggles, I don't think. I we would have really been up to it mentally because I was just so exhausted.
0: Well, she's just turned two recently then, hasn't she, end of February? Yes.
1: so she's just turned two. Um, so it must have been when she was, yeah, four months old. I actually got a phone call from a very close friend who said that she had some terrible news and she had cancer. Mm. She was wondering if I would go down and help her with her family. The kids are all a bit older. So I, looking back, I feel like, although, you know, it took me a good eight weeks to kind of, come to terms with everything, Stevie was only probably about 13 weeks and I packed up and drove down to New South Wales to near Port Macquarie and we spent seven weeks down on the farm. Wow. And, you know, I think that was like the big breakthrough of like how I kind of made it through that, like all the turbulence at the beginning.
0: Yeah.
1: And taking the baby and off we went um, and being really out of my comfort zone. Um, which I don't usually have, uh, like my comfort zone is usually huge, you know, um, but having Stevie, all of a sudden there's all these new beginnings and it was like even driving was a bit weird. And, yeah. um,
0: Suddenly um are very conscious of everybody else on the road. Yeah, you? it's just <laughs> crazy. I'm
1: like, who am I? Um, so that was amazing, um, being able to do that and experience, um, going living on the farm. And then Stevie obviously had this, the three other kids around and the house was a bit busier. Yeah. So that was really nice, I think, for her after being in with just me and mum for so long because dad was in hospital, um, just to have a little bit more of, like, family life around. And yeah, so that kind of I really, you know, sparked things up and then we ended up coming back because, um, you know, COVID was ramping up again. We didn't want to get locked out of the state. Mm. Um, Yeah, so basically we just kind of cracked on with life. And I think once COVID, you know, uh, dissipated, we um, started to do a few of the normal things like go out for walks and go to the beach and just those normal things that weren't able to really, I wasn't really keen to do at the beginning, having a newborn and um, not knowing about COVID or, you know, how extreme it was or,
0: and now do you think life is what you thought it was always going to be? Uh, not really.
1: I, I don't think anything could have prepared, prepared me for motherhood. Um, being a nanny um, and working with children for so many years, you know, like you've got this, like you've done everything. And I'm like, oh, I've never been pregnant. I've never given birth. You know, I've never breastfed, which I found super challenging. But, um, but yeah, so I just think... Um, yeah, it's it's undescribable, like, how amazing it is, but the challenges and um, sometimes how tough it is, is, yeah, it just, I don't think anyone can explain it to you if that makes sense. You actually have your own child and everyone's very different um, with their expectations and with their ability, um, but I really feel like, um, yeah, I've surprised myself a lot along the way. With what you actually can do, yeah. Um, and kind of looking back, um, I, you know, you kind of do a lot of second guessing because you're such a newbie; and you don't really know what you're doing. Um, but I just, yeah, I do kind of wish I had of just um, not second guessed and just kind of rolled, rolled with it, um, rather than you know, yeah, seeking too much of um, other people's opinions whether you're doing you know things right. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly with the whole baby sleeping on you, you know, people said, you know, you create these bad habits. But Stevie's the most independent little child ever. She slept on me, you know, from day one till about 13 weeks, every sleep all day. And in nighttime, she was in her baby nest um, next to me on my bed. And, you know, then I really, I feel like when I transitioned her to a cop and things like that, I, Feel like she's got a really a good sense of security, and she feels safe, and she she doesn't have that um, the detachment, if that makes sense. I feel like she's always had it, so she's really got that present with her. Um, maybe it's her personality, um, but yeah. So I quite admire. I admire that um, I did what I did. Yeah, I held my baby, you know, twenty four seven. Even though you know I would have been the person going, swaddle the baby, put the baby down, you know. Um, until you've got your own child it's incredible um, how things change
0: yeah. you just got to trust that you know what's right for your own child yeah
1: absolutely
0: like yourself yeah so if you look back now is there anything you think you'd do differently in your journey
1: um i think so i i, I feel like um if my with the knowledge i know now about being in, like induced and things like that if i Had have known that I could be monitored more um, if I could have given the baby a little bit more of a chance. Um, I don't regret uh, uh, accepting to be induced, but I just always knew deep down that the baby wasn't ready. And I find I'm I'm getting my words mixed up. I'm finding that the like being induced. She was going against the grain, and it just—it's that's why it didn't work. I just feel like it was it was trying to make me have a baby when my baby was not ready.
0: So hard to advocate for yourself in that situation, and when you've never been through it before, and you just feel no. like you have to trust the experts. So
1: yeah, so that's the only thing. Um, yeah, I don't really have any um, regrets. Um, I feel like I did take things into my hands. You know, obviously with going down this path, I caught the clock. Um, I like to leave it too late. Um, I always said, you know, I'd never forgive myself if I didn't have children, you know, had this fear of, you know, not being able to have my own children. So I feel like, um, you know, I've done all the right things. It's just been a huge um, transition for me physically and mentally. Um, It would be amazing to, you know, save money. But like I said, I didn't, I was very blase about it. I didn't. You know it didn't cost me a fortune um and I don't know whether or not ever being you ever set up enough or you have enough money for you know having a child like when they're ready ever <laughs> ever you know so so no I don't think there's anything else except just the induction um I kind of I am at peace with the birth and at peace with you know all the trauma and all that sort of stuff. Um I just Think maybe if the baby had a little bit more time, things could have been different. Um, but I don't hold on to that. Yeah. Um, for a little while, I did think I wanted to have another baby, and I was really thinking my my mental state was thinking, you know, oh maybe I'll have a different birth and a different start. There won't be any COVID if I don't have such a traumatic birth. You know, maybe the beginning of motherhood will be a little bit more pleasant. But I've gone over and over and over in my head, and I don't think that's a good enough reason to have another child because having another child is forever and I just don't think that another child um, would be okay for me.
0: So going into it, you thought you had more than one, but now in reality. absolutely. I
1: always used to think people that had two children, you know, play it safe. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, because I'm on a four. My sister just had her third. Um, so I had that, you know, the more merrier. And like, I love having siblings, don't get me wrong, but I really feel like a sane, level-headed mother is really important. Yeah. And I don't want to bite off more than I can chew just for the sake of giving CV a sibling um, mm-hmm. because I've you know, had a challenging time, over, you know, over the last two years with um, finding yourself again, um, having personal, like my own personal, um, uh, my social life, I'm spending time with my friends, you know, filling my own cup. So, yeah, I just feel like it's best for me to just have Stevie. Um, biting off more than I can chew.
0: You do still have embryos in the freezer though?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've got four embryos. So I still pay the storage fee. I don't have any feeling like I want to get rid of them and not for any particular reason. I just know they're there. Yeah. Um, even though like, I definitely um, wouldn't, I don't want to have another child. For a little while, I thought I would um, if I met the right person. Yeah. Um, but I could meet someone down the track. I may or may not. They may have kids. Um, Stevie's got lots of donor siblings.
0: Um, oh, you already know that?
1: Yeah. Stevie was about, um, I think it must have been about six weeks old and that's when I thought I would um, jump on. And check if there's any new families on the donor kind of registry, Seattle Sperm Bank page, mm-hmm. uh, and that's when I'm pretty sure that's when I came across um, Harriet, and she had the twins who were five days older than Stevie. So we um, exchanged a few like emails, um, and then it's really clunky. It's really hard to um, navigate this website, so they make it really quite tricky. Um, we became Instagram friends. Um, and we just chatted, we chatted a lot, obviously, because she had twins, I had Stevie, in, she's in the UK, so COVID was like even more hectic over there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just started this friendship, um, first-time mums, donor, you know, donor-conceived children, kind of the same age, um, and that's from there is where I um, decided to make a Facebook group And one of my other solo mum friends, Laura, advised that her donor families had a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought, right, I'm going to start this up. It's only going to be me and Harriet, but there's got to to start somewhere. You know, you just never know. Um, And, yeah, so given um, Stevie's only two, so within 18 months, we've got nine families. Oh, wow. Um, Incredible. So... It's amazing. We share photos. Um, we're the only family in Australia, even though I know they're, we're the, we were the third, uh, mm-hmm. and I know there's a pregnancy in Queensland at the moment with my donor, um, but all the other um, other families are solo mum by choices over in um, the States, um, obviously the UK, Canada. Um, we have a couple of same-sex couples. Um, and we have a mother and father with their little boy. So we've got a nice blend um, of these beautiful kids. Um, and just as of last month, I had a, I quite often have people reach out to me on Messenger mm-hmm. um, because on the Seattle Spoonbank Facebook page, I every now and again I just put a note out with my donor name and code and say if you are... Um, looking for um, donor siblings or families, please come find us. This is the information. Um, I feel like a lot of families are probably just watching. Some people aren't um, as intrigued as I am, Um, and that's totally fine. I just um, was really excited about this. I find it fascinating and want to kind of have some background um, information and if Stevie wants to connect with, the donor siblings um, at some point um but i find it quite comforting for myself to be connected with these women um especially the solo mums by choice um they're all you know very friendly we've got a couple of us that um probably there's four of us that probably share more than the others yeah. but the others all are still um active on there and it's you're in the group by choice you know it's not um no one's pressured into anything no one's pressured into sharing um, but sometimes it's a waterfall effect. So, one of us will sort of put a post up about something like Christmas or Easter or one of the kids' birthdays. Um, so, it's really nice and comforting to know that the location, um, where they are, how, you know, the, the ages. Um, so, yeah, I've got a solo mum in, I think she's in Canada or America, I'm not quite sure. And she is really enthusiastic about it as well. So, we've actually just created a spreadsheet with all the information. Um, Just to to keep guidelines. Um, Yeah. And particularly, um, I feel because we're in Queensland and um, my donor can, he has just um, retired, but donating to everyone in our state, I just feel like if I know, you know, I can educate Stevie on donor siblings and how close they are or where they are or their ages, just so she's aware that. There's other people out there with her DNA.
0: So it's 10 families in Australia that it can donate to or is he like isolated just to Queensland somehow?
1: So it's Australia, but from what I hear, um, the clinic said that the Seattle sperm make only supplies to Queensland Fertility Group. Right, Okay. So, yeah, so they are a little bit, like, hesitant when they ask for information and things like that. You kind of have to be really clever with your wording. They don't give you anything for free. Yeah. You have to know. I know that you're allowed um, the age, um, birth date and the sex of the child, um, but that's about it, you know, obviously for personal reasons. Um, but you when I recently just rang, I think two weeks ago, they said there is a pregnancy, um, so there will be another... Little baby, somewhere.
0: <laughs> um, um, hopefully, they reach out and find the Facebook page as well, and then you can get some local.
1: Yeah. To so out. so far, no one in Australia has joined the Facebook page, um, but yes, this mother that did just message me recently. She's in Canada. She has four children. So we found like a a donor. with the donor. Awesome. Oh wow! So there was um, there was nineteen. Of 19 siblings with Stevie, there was 20, and now she's got four. So I've just hit 24. Wow. Which is overwhelming, like, knowing that. But I feel um, like I'd want to know yeah, rather than not know if that makes sense.
0: Well, I have to say, for me, it's not something I had considered that much, and I don't, it's just because I'm an only child and you're one of four, so you would want to know about siblings earlier. But it was after I interviewed Fiona, which was episode two, that it just really got me thinking and realising, you know, her meeting the donor later in life up to her it's completely fine. But the thing that I'm reading more and more about is the one thing that donor-conceived children regret is if they don't have relationships with their donor siblings from an early age. And that's the thing that they wish that they could change. So it's like, well, if we can be on the front foot, then again, it will be up to her whether she meets them or not. But she won't have to have that regret later.
1: Absolutely, and that's what I feel like the research and um, putting together the spreadsheet and the information just is a little bit of a head start and rather than just being, you know, when you're 18, obviously I'll, I'm always going to be um, open to Stevie about her, the way she was made and all that sort of stuff, but just, yeah, with the siblings, like seeing these children, the most beautiful children, with so much resemblance in like Stevie, Um in my research that I've done about donor-conceived children, a lot of them, they find it comforting to have siblings or, you know, other people in their family that they look like and their features, you know, so not having that father present, um, kind of, yeah, having the relationship with the donor siblings can not make up for that, but it is a piece in the puzzle, if that makes sense, opposed to being quite isolated, especially if they're an only child mm. um, and yeah so i i um i don't obsess over it but i just i quite enjoy um and then also like i said having the relationships with the other women um very crazy the other day i just saw one of the ladies that i follow she had a mutual friend that i know and it's someone here in australia my friend in sydney and she knows the when i said how do you know this person and she said oh i think for like 13 years I was like you would not believe her little baby it. and she's like what? I said yeah that is crazy I was wondering how come you follow this family you know like this random family over in um, California so I was like wow that's a small world like yeah. yeah but I would never have known that you know if I hadn't connected with this lady um, who actually reached out to me she'd had a, she'd had had a couple of miscarriages or unsuccessful transfers. And then she changed to our donor, and he has got a very good success rate, and she was pregnant. It was their last time she was going to try. So it's really amazing um, that she had success. Um, and same with um my other friend of the twins. Mm-hmm. She had another donor and then she changed to our donor, and then she had her twins. So he was makes beautiful babies and a lot of success rate.
0: And an amazing worldwide village
1: for you as well yeah yeah so yeah so that's just um that's basically with all the donor um siblings um information and yeah just reading um the stories you know the children books that are um related to this uh, the one my journey to you obviously that you've done book review on i um i love it like it just it just it goes into enough detail without going into too much detail. Yep. Um And, yeah, we're at that stage now where Stevie is choosing a lot of the donor conception books by choice. Um, um, I actually, uh, since listening to the podcast, I think it might have been Fiona or one of the other ladies that, and their daughters are a little bit older, so they actually talk about the donor quite often. I thought, right, today, when we're putting Stevie to bed, I'm just going to, you know, mention to her, something about, you know, being donor-conceived or yeah. I don't know what I was going to say, but I just thought I'm just going to give it a crack because the ladies have explained, you know, the more you speak about it, the more practice you get and the more better you get at it. Mm. I see me sitting on my lap and oh, I think I was reading um Mummy, My Mummy Made Me. Yep. And then I said to Stevie, um, Mummy used a donut to make you. And she looked at me and she goes, I, I love donuts. <laughs> i'm just like oh okay. I god like clearly she's way too young like i've just put it out there i just didn't know where the conversation was going to go i've just told her she thought i said donut and yeah so i was like okay i'll just leave it at that um but yes definitely with the um obviously being open with how she was conceived um and getting to this age now where she's quite enjoying the books. Um, I think it will be a good stepping stone, um, as the other women have mentioned, um, with uh, explaining things along the way and just making sure it's a talked about being rather than, you know, it's left in the dark or anything like that. And we're quite fortunate at the daycare where Stevie goes. I have a, um, a friend there and her daughter is, she's from a same-sex couple. So at Stevie's daycare, there's actually two donor-conceived children, which I find amazing because it's, it's not that common. Um, but I said that to my friend, I was like, it's so lovely to have inclusive, you know, That I think they call it inclusion or in- inclusiveness. Um, I said, you know, Stevie and Frankie, and she said, oh, my gosh, that is so true, you know, just with um, how families are, different families, you know. They're, they're both jointly conceived. Frankie's got two mums, Stevie's just got one mum, but they're jointly conceived, so it's quite nice that sh- there's already another child there. Um so I find that quite comforting, and that's just by luck. Yeah, so I think, obviously, um, I was actually thinking, is it Nat, she was mentioning um, possibly giving a book to take to daycare, and I thought that might be a nice idea. Maybe as Stevie gets older, um, some books about family, you know, something to do with a donor-conceived book or something like that that's not too in your face but just explains... Um, lots of different families. Yeah, yeah, so got lots to think about obviously with that um but uh, i just do one step at a time as i said get too far ahead of it and worry about too much um it become yeah, a bit overwhelming
0: so that's a wonderful piece of advice for anyone is just to take things one step at a time is there anything else you would suggest for anyone who's just starting out on this journey or just considering whether it's the right one for them or not um i find i
1: really Find that like doing the research is what really helped me. Um, if you have any doubt um, with you know going down the donor path, I think there's a lot of comforting information out there, um, even on social media. Um, I started off with Facebook groups before I think a new Instagram. Yeah, there was Instagram solo mums out there, but there's a lot of information out there and. Although you know, a lot of women might have, like myself, a rough start or find it challenging. Like you will never ever um, regret your decision. Um, and I think my most, my biggest bit of advice would be: I was really fortunate, and I obviously had a transfer and had a successful pregnancy. But um, I know a lot of other people um, that don't have an, such an easy start. So I feel like you just need to jump in, get onto it. You just never know what your journey is going to be like um, at the beginning, and it can be really tough. So, just yeah, just go and ask the questions, get your MH checked, and just do all of your research and reach out to as many other solo mums or other women on the journey as well to get a bit of support if you're finding that you're not having that like in your network because there's a huge community out there um, that. You know, as us women, we're all connected via um, social media and I found it very comforting along the way in having mothers and friends that are in the exact same situation because um, you will probably be very unique in your family, in your friendship group. It's not like you and your best friend um, are going to be doing it together. I know there is sometimes that has happened, but you are a little bit on your own, so if you get your band of community behind you online. Um you can always inbox each other, people people talk, I've made friends, you know, that's really comforting. Um, but yeah, just don't don't wait and don't um don't think you've got more time, I feel. I feel like I yeah, I caught the clock. Um and I don't know how my journey could have been if I had to wait another couple of years.
0: Well, thank you so much. It's been amazing talking to you and especially all well, of everything you went through and everything you've done. To find the siblings I think will give a lot of people a lot to think about and um, so thank you so much for sharing tonight. Thanks Alicia. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.